0: Shalom, and thank you for joining us for our Arab Shabbat broadcast here on B'nai Shalom.tv. From all of us here at Lion and Lamb Ministries, we thank you for making us a part of your Shabbat routine. And we are uh, eagerly anticipating in the next couple of weeks uh, all the youth that are coming for Camp Yeshua, our Messianic Youth Summer Camp. If you would please join with us in prayer uh, for safe travels for all of the youth and staff that will be joining us, and prayer for those youth that they would leave changed, different, new creation uh, than the way that they came in. Camp Ushua has always been an amazing, life-changing experience, and now 19 years and counting, uh, we're praying that this year is no different. Also, going on, we still have registration open for our Feast of Tabernacles event coming up in October. You can go to tabernaclesevent.com and register your family there. We hope to see Uh, All of you joining with us for that appointed time and those holy convocations. And we have fun for the whole family, kids programs, youth programs, teachings, workshops, uh, great worship as well. And so we hope that you can join us for that event as well. Once again, Shabbat Shalom, and we thank you for joining us. Now let us set apart this Sabbath from the rest of the week with the Kiddush and the family blessings.
1: Shabbat Shalom and Hag Sameah
0: to you. Please join with our family as we usher in the Sabbath.
2: commandments, and has commanded us to be a light unto the nations, and has given us Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen. Amen. Now Kiddush, blessing over the cup. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech borei amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the
0: universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen.
3: Amen. Amen.
0: Chamotzi. Chamotzi lechemin haaretz.
2: We give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together as our joyful prayer is said. Eloheinu
0: Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. Amen. Husbands, now let's bless our wives. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for my wonderful wife that you have given to me. I thank you, Lord, for her, and for. I pray that you would bless her with your very best blessing. Bless her as she sees about the ways of the household, as she takes care of the children and educates them. And, Father, I confess that I love her with all of my heart. And so, Father, I pray that you would bless her on this Sabbath day. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. (laughs) And now let's bless our sons. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ephraim and Manasseh. Amen. Now let's bless our daughters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ruth and as Esther. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Bahu et
0: Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Micha Mocha. Micha
2: <laughs> Mocha. Da no, 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 In praise, doing wonders, O Lord, who is like you, O Lord? Amen.
0: And now the blessing of the Messiah. Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Na'Tan Lanu Et Derech HaYeshua B'Mashiach Yeshua. Altogether, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Veshamru. Veshamru vene Israel et Hashabat, la sot et Hashabat, la dhortam berit olam, vene ovayom bnei Israel, ot hit le olam, kesheshet yamim asarunai, et Hashmaim vet haaretz ovayom hachevi, Shabbat. All altogether, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from his work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema, if you'd all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema.
2: Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Baruch Shem Kivod Malchuto Leolam. Yeshua HaMashiach, Hu Adonai.
0: O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be His name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, He is Lord. Amen. And now the V'yachavta. et Adonai bechol levavcha uvchol nashicha, uvachol meodecha. Vahayu, ha'devarim, ha'aleh, asher nechimeh, zavcha, ha'yom, alevavacha. Vashinantam, la venecha, vedeperdabam, beshiftecha, beyetecha, uvlechtacha, viderech, uvshachpika, uvkumika. Ucheshatam, la ota yadecha. Vahayu, la totavot, bi nenecha. Uchetavtam, la mozuzot, batecha, uvisharecha. All together. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of
1: your house, and upon your gates. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.
3: God, King of the universe, who has given us this Shabbat, and who has called us to this place to praise His name. O Holy One of Israel, blessed are You, whose kingdom is forever and ever. We honor You in this place. We lift Your name high. We dance before You, for You are holy. You are Kadosh.
4: Keep me to Shenatana Torah Torah Baruch Shenatana Torah Torah LeAmor Yisrael
1: BeKduchato
5: Shabbat Shalom. Please join us for the reading of Parashah Pinchas. Then I spoke to Moshe, saying, Pinchas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aharon the priest, has turned away my wrath from the sons of Israel in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them, so that I did not destroy the sons of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore, say, Behold, I give him my covenant of peace, and it shall be for him and his descendants after him a covenant of perpetual priesthood, because he was jealous for his Elohim and made atonement for the sons of Israel. Now the name of the slain man of Israel, who was slain with the Midianite woman, was Zimri, the son of Salu, a leader of a father's household among the Shimoni. The name of the Midianite woman who was slain was Cosbi, the daughter of Zor, who was head of the people of a father's household in Midian. Then Adonai spoke to Moshe, saying, Be hostile to the Midiani, and strike them, for they have been hostile to you with their tricks, with which they have deceived you in the affair of Peor, and in the affair of Kozbi, the daughter of the leader of Midian, their sister who was slain on the day of a plague because of Peor. Chapter 26 Then it came about after the plague that Adonai spoke to Moshe, and to Eleazar the son of Aharon the priest, saying, Take a census. Of all the congregation of the sons of Israel, from twenty years old and upward, by their fathers' households, whoever is able to go out to war in Israel. So Moshe and Eleazar the priest spoke with them in the plains of Moab by the Yarden at Jericho, saying, "Take a census of the people from twenty years old and upward, as Adonai has commanded Moshe." Now the sons of Israel who came out of the land of Egypt were Reuven, Israel's firstborn, the sons of Reuven of Hanok, the family of the Hanoki, of Palu. The family of the Palui, of Hezron, the family of the Hezroni, of Carmi, the family of the Carmi. These are the families of the Reuveni, and those who were numbered of them were 43,730. The sons of Palu, Eliav. The sons of Eliav, Nemuel and Datan and Aviram. These are the Datan and Aviram who were called by the congregation who contended against Moshe and against Aharon in the company of Korach when they contended against Adonai. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up along with Korach when that company died, when the fire devoured 250 men so that they became a warning. The sons of Korach, however, did not die. The sons of Shimon, according to their families, of Nemuel, the family of the Nemueli, of Yamin, the family of the Yamini, of Yachin, the family of the Yachini; of Zerah, the family of the Zerahi, of Shaul, the family of the Shauli. These are the families of the Shimoni, 22,200. The sons of Gad, according to their families, of Zephon, the family of the Zephoni, of Hagi, the family of the Hagi; of Shuni, the family of the Shuni, of Ozni, the family of the Ozni, of Eri, the family of the Eri, of Arod, the family of the Arodi, of Areli, the family of the Areli. These are the families of the sons of Gad, according to those who are numbered of them, 40,500. The sons of Yehuda were Er and Onan, but Er and Onan died in the land of Canaan. The sons of Yehuda, according to their families, were of Shelah, the family of the Shelani, of Perez, the family of the Perisi, of Zerah, the family of the Zerahi, The sons of Perez were Hetzron, the family of the Hetzroni, of Hamul, the family of Hamuli. These are the families of Yehuda, according to those who were numbered of them, 76,500. The sons of Yissachar, according to their families, of Tola, the family of the Tola'i, of Puva, the family of the Puni, of Yashuv, the family of the Yashuvi, of Shimron, the family of the Shimroni. These are the families of Yisachar, according to those who were numbered of them, 64,300. The sons of Zebulun, according to their families, of Sered, the family of the Seredi, of Elon, the family of the Eloni, of Yalil, the family of the Yalili. These are the families of the Zebuluni, according to those who were numbered of them, 60,500. The sons of Yosef, according to their families, Maneshe and Ephraim, the sons of Manasseh, of Machir, the family of the Machri. And Machir became the father of Gilead, of Gilead, the family of Gileadi. These are the sons of Gilead, of Iezer, the family of the Iezeri. of Helek, the family of the Heleki, and of Asriel, the family of the Asrieli, and of Shechem, the family of the Shechemi, and of Shemida, the family of the Shemidai, and of Hefer, the family of the Heferi. Now, Tzlovchad. The son of Hefer had no sons, but only daughters, and the names of the daughters of Tslochad were Malah, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirza. These are the families of Maneshe, and those who were numbered of them were fifty two thousand seven hundred. These are the sons of Ephraim according to their families, of Shutelach, the family of Shutelachi, of Becher, the family of Becheri; of Tahan, the family of the Tahani. These are the sons of Shutelach of Iran, the family of the Irani. These are the families of the sons of Ephraim, according to those who were numbered of them, 32,500. These are the sons of Yosef, according to their families. The sons of Benjamin, according to their families. Of Bela, the family of Bela'i. Of Ashvel, the family of Ashveli. Of Ahiram, the family of Ahirami. Of Shephufam, the family of Shephufami. Of Hufam, the family of Hufami. The sons of Bela were Ard and Naaman. Of Ard, the family of the Ardi. Of Naaman, the family of Naami. These are the sons of Binyamin according to their families, and those who were numbered of them were 45,600. These are the sons of Dan according to their families. Of Shuham, the family of Shuhami. These are the families of Dan according to their families. All the families of Shuhami, according to all those who were numbered of them, were 64,400. The sons of Asher according to their families. Of Imna, the family of the Imni of Ishvi, the family of the Ishvi, of Beriah, the family of the Beri, of the sons of Beriah, of Heber, the family of the Heberi, of Malchiel, the family of the malchieli The name of the daughter of Asher was Serah. These are the families of the sons of Asher, according to those who were numbered of them, 53,400. The sons of Naphtali, according to their families, of Yazil, the family of Yazili, of Guni, the family of Guni, of Yezer, the family of Yazeri, of Shelem the family of Shilemi, these are the families of Naphtali, according to their families, and those who were numbered of them were forty five thousand four hundred. These are those who were numbered of the sons of Israel, six hundred one thousand seven hundred thirty. Then I spoke to Moshe, saying, "Among these, the land shall be divided for an inheritance according to the number of names. to the larger group you shall increase their inheritance, and to the smaller group you shall diminish their inheritance." Each shall be given their inheritance according to those who were numbered of them. But the land shall be divided by lot. They shall receive their inheritance according to the names of the tribes of their fathers. According to the selection by lot, their inheritance shall be divided between the larger and smaller groups. These are those who were numbered of the Levi according to their families. Of Gershon, the family of the Gershoni. Of Kohat, the family of the Kohati. Of Merari, the family of Merari. These are the families of Levi, the family of the Livni, the family of the Hevroni, the family of the Mali, the family of the Mushi, the family of the Korahi. Kohat became the father of Am- Amram. The name of Amram's wife was Yochaved, the daughter of Levi, who was born to Levi in Egypt. And she bore to Amram Aharon and Moshe and their sister Miriam. To Aharon were born Nadav and Avihu, Elazar and Itamar. But Nadav and Avihu died when they offered strange fire before Adonai. Those who were numbered of them were twenty three thousand, every male from a month old and upward, for they were not numbered among the sons of Israel, since no inheritance was given to them among the sons of Israel. These are those who were numbered by Moshe and Eleazar the priest, who numbered the sons of Israel, in the plains of Moab, by the Yarden at Jericho. But among these there was not a man of those who were numbered by Moshe and Aharon the priest, who numbered the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. For Adonai had said of them, They shall surely die in the wilderness. And not a man was left of them, except Caleb the son of Yefuneh, and Yehoshua, the son of Nun. Chapter 27 Then the daughters of Tzlovchad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manesheh, of the families of Manesheh, the son of Yosef, came near. And these are the names of his daughters, Malah, Noah, Hoglah, Milcah, and Tirzah. They stood before Moshe, and before Eleazar the priest, and before the leaders of all the congregation at the doorway of the tent of meeting, saying, our father died in the wilderness, yet he was not among the company of those who gathered themselves together against Adonai in the company of Korach. But he died in his own sin, and he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be withdrawn from among his family because he had no son? Give us a possession among our father's brothers. So Moshe brought their case before Adonai. Then Adonai spoke to Moshe, saying, The daughters of Tzlovchad are right in their statements. You shall surely give them a hereditary possession among their father's brothers, and you shall transfer the inheritance of their father to them. Further, you shall speak to the sons of Israel, saying, If a man dies and has no son, then you shall transfer his inheritance to his daughter. If he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. If his father had no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his nearest relative in his own family, and he shall possess it, And it shall be a statutory ordinance to the sons of Israel, just as Adonai commanded Moshe. Then Adonai said to Moshe, Go up to this mountain of Avarim, and see the land which I have given to the sons of Israel. When you have seen it, you too will be gathered to your people, as Aharon your brother was. For in the wilderness of Zin, during the strife of the congregation, you rebelled against my command to treat me as holy before their eyes at the water. These are the waters of Meribah of Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. Then Moshe spoke to Adonai, saying, May Adonai, the Elohim of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation, who will go out and come in before them, and who will lead them out and bring them in, so that the congregation of Adonai will not be like sheep who have no shepherd. So Adonai said to Moshe, Take Yehoshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit, and lay your hand on him, and have him stand before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation, and commission him in their sight. You shall put some of your authority on him, in order that all the congregation of the sons of Israel may obey him. Moreover, he shall stand before Elazar the priest, who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before Adonai. At his command they shall go out, and at his command they shall come in, both he and the sons of Israel with him, even all the congregation. Moshe did just as Adonai commanded him, and he took Jehoshua and set him before Elazar the priest, and before all the congregation. Then he laid his hands on him and commissioned him, just as Adonai had spoken through Moshe. Chapter 28 Then Adonai spoke to Moshe, saying, Command the sons of Yisrael, and say to them, You shall be careful to present my offering, my food for my offerings by fire, of a soothing aroma to me at their appointed time. You shall say to them, This is the offering by fire which you shall offer to Adonai. Two male lambs, one year old, without defect, as a continual burnt offering, every day. You shall offer the one lamb in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. Also a tenth of an ephah of fine flour for a grain offering, mixed with a fourth of a hin of beaten oil. It is a continual burnt offering which was ordained in Mount Sinai as a soothing aroma, an offering by fire to Adonai. Then the drink offering with it shall be a fourth of a hin for each lamb. In the holy place you shall pour out a drink offering of strong drink to Adonai. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight, as the grain offering of the morning, and as its drink offering you shall offer it, an offering by fire, a soothing aroma to Adonai. Then on the Sabbath day, two male lambs, one year old without defect, and two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering and its drink offering. This is the burnt offering of every Sabbath, in addition to the continual burnt offering and its drink offering. Then at the beginning of each of your months you shall present a burnt offering to Adonai, 2 bulls and 1 ram, 7 male lambs, 1 year old, without defect, and 3 tenths of an ephah of fine flour, mixed with oil, for a grain offering, for each bull, and 2 tenths of fine flour, mixed with oil, for a grain offering, for the 1 ram, and a tenth of an ephah of fine flour, mixed with oil, for a grain offering, for each lamb, for a burnt offering of a soothing aroma, an offering by fire to Adonai. Their drink offering shall be half a hin of wine for a bull, and a third of a hin for a ram, and a fourth of a hin for a lamb, This is the burnt offering of each month throughout the months of the year. And one male goat for a sin offering to Adonai. It shall be offered with its drink offering in addition to the continual burnt offering. Then on the fourteenth day of the first month shall be Adonai's Passover. On the fifteenth day of this month shall be a feast. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work. You shall present an offering by fire, a burnt offering to Adonai two bulls and one ram, and seven male lambs, one year old, having them without defect. For the grain offering you shall offer fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for a bull, and two-tenths for the ram. A tenth of an ephah you shall offer for each of the seven lambs, and one male goat for a sin offering to make atonement for you. You shall present these besides the burnt offering of the morning, which is for a continual burnt offering. After this manner you shall present daily for seven days the food of the offering by fire, of a soothing aroma to Adonai, It shall be presented with its drink offering in addition to the continual burnt offering. On the seventh day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work. Also on the day of firstfruits, when you present a new grain offering to Adonai in your feast of weeks, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work. You shall offer a burnt offering for a soothing aroma to Adonai. Two young bulls, one ram, seven male lambs, one year old, and their grain offering, fine flour mixed with oil. Three-tenths of an ephah for each bull, two-tenths for the one ram, a tenth for each of the seven lambs, also one male goat to make atonement for you. Besides the continual burnt offering and its grain offering, you shall present them with their drink offerings. They shall be without defect. Chapter 29 Now in the seventh month... On the first day of the month you shall also have a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work. It will be for you a day for blowing trumpets. You shall offer a burnt offering as a soothing aroma to Adonai, one bull, one ram, and seven male lambs, one year old, without defect. Also their grain offering, fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for the bull, two-tenths for the ram, and one-tenth for each of the seven lambs. Offer one male goat for a sin offering to make atonement for you, besides the burnt offering of the new moon and its grain offering, and the continual burnt offering as its grain offering, and their drink offerings according to their ordinance, for a soothing aroma, an offering by fire to Adonai. Then on the tenth day of the seventh month you shall have a holy convocation, and you shall humble yourselves, you shall not do any work, you shall present a burnt offering to Adonai as a soothing aroma." 1 bull, 1 ram, 7 male lambs, 1 year old, having them without defect, and their grain offering, fine flour mixed with oil, 3 tenths of an ephah for the bull, 2 tenths for the 1 ram, a tenth for each of the single lambs, 1 male goat for a sin offering, besides the sin offering of the atonement, and the continual burnt offering and its grain offering, and their drink offerings. Then on the fifteenth day of the seventh month you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work, and you shall observe a feast to Adonai for seven days. You shall present a burnt offering, an offering by fire as a soothing aroma to Adonai. Thirteen bulls, two rams, fourteen male lambs, one year old, which are without defect, and their grain offering, fine flour mixed with oil, three tenths of an ephah for each of the thirteen bulls, two tenths for each of the two rams, and a tenth for each of the fourteen lambs, and one male goat for a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. Then on the second day, twelve bulls. Two rams, fourteen male lambs, one year old without defect, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams and for the lambs, by their number according to the ordinance, and one male goat for a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering and its grain offering and their drink offerings. Then on the third day, eleven bulls, two rams, fourteen male lambs, one year old without defect, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams and for the lambs, by their number according to the ordinance, and one male goat for a sin offering besides the continual burnt offering and its grain offering and its drink offering. Then on the fourth day, ten bulls, two rams, fourteen male lambs, one year old without defect, their grain offering and their drink offering for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs, by their number according to the ordinance, and one male goat for a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering, its grain offering and its drink offering. Then on the fifth day, nine bulls, two rams, fourteen male lambs, one year old without defect in their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs, by their number according to the ordinance, and one male goat for a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering and its grain offering and its drink offering. Then on the sixth day, Eight bulls, two rams, fourteen male lambs, one year old without defect, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs, by their number according to the ordinance, and one male goat for a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering, its grain offerings and its drink offerings. Then on the seventh day, Seven bulls, two rams, fourteen male lambs, one year old without defect, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams and for the lambs, by their number according to the ordinance, And one male goat for a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering, and its grain offering, and its drink offering. On the eighth day you shall have a solemn assembly. You shall do no laborious work. But you shall present a burnt offering, an offering by fire, as a soothing aroma to Adonai. One bull, one ram, seven male lambs, one year old without defect, their grain offering, and their drink offerings, for the bull, for the ram, and for the lambs, by their number according to the ordinance. And one male goat for a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering, and its grain offerings, and its drink offering. You shall present these to Adonai at your appointed times, beside your votive offerings and your free will offerings, for your burnt offerings and for your grain offerings and for your drink offerings and for your peace offerings. Moshe spoke to the sons of Israel in accordance with all that Adonai had commanded Moshe. Thank you for joining us for the reading of Parashah Pinchas. Now, in this Parashah, we find that last week's readings, Bilam had been hired to curse Israel. But his attempts to comply with Balak's order were thwarted by Adonai, and instead, blessing came out of his mouth instead of cursing. Now, although Bilam had been unsuccessful in pronouncing curses over the nation of Israel, he was still able to serve in the function for which he was hired. You see, we will read in next week's readings how the children of Israel will eventually kill Bilam because of the counsel that he gave to Balak. It says in Numbers chapter 31, verse 16, Behold, these caused the sons of Israel through the council of Bilam to trespass against Adonai in the matter of Peor. So the plague was among the congregation of Israel. The indication here from Numbers is that after Bilaam's failed attempts at cursing Israel, he makes a peace offering to Balak by giving him a strategy to still overcome the children of Israel. Apparently, Bilaam advised Balak to encourage the women of the surrounding areas to entice the men of Israel to have relations with them. This resulted in the accompanying harlotry of the heart, as the men began worshipping foreign gods instead of worshipping Adonai alone. Now, Bilam knew that even though he lacked the power and ability to physically curse Israel, every person, individually, has the capacity to bring curses upon themselves through the process of making bad decisions. In particular, bad decisions that lead one away from Adonai. It wasn't a matter of someone else cursing Israel, but rather it was by making intentional choices to follow their own fleshly desires to commit sin that the men of Israel ended up cursing themselves. The children of Israel were able to see the very glory of Adonai dwelling in their midst, and they still chose to pursue sin. Are we any different? Our human will, even if we may be filled with the Ruach, the Spirit, can still consciously choose to pursue the desires of our flesh rather than to pursue the desires of Adonai. To follow the Yetzer Hara, the evil inclination within us, rather than to pursue the Yetzer Tov, the good inclination. This will inevitably incur negative consequences for what we have chosen to pursue. No one has the power to remove us from our father's loving hand. But by our own volitional choices, we can remove ourselves from his blessings. Fortunately, someone stepped into the breach to stop the disobedience. While the actions of Pinchas, killing the evildoers in this parasha, was extreme, he was excused for his rash behavior because it is said of him that he was zealous with the zeal of Aronai. Likewise, we can be zealous for Adonai. We see an example of this in Acts chapter 21, where the first century believers were described as being zealous for the Torah. In the same way, we too should be zealous for his Torah. If we become zealous for his Torah, then we will find ourselves behaving much more like Pinchas than like Zimri, the man who is on the other end of the spear of Pinchas. Let's cultivate within ourselves A zealousness for Adonai and for his instructions. And may we find ourselves always in his presence. Shabbat Shalom.
6: Shabbat Shalom. shalom. If you would, uh, turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 18 to the very last verse. Uh, we're going to start there, but we're mostly going to be dealing with First Kings chapter 19 as part of our Hoftor portion. Ephraim taught us about Phinehas, this very bold uh, act that he did that stopped the plague and judgment that God was putting upon all of Israel. Uh, and he did a nice job of going in and explaining the large pay, the, the statement that was made. It was a small act of his hand. Um, I always, when I teach that portion, I always remind everybody this is the first evidence in the Bible that we see for the common concept called shish kebab. You know, the, the, two two things on, on one stick. And uh, there was a, he did a shish kebab uh, with those who were opposed to the Lord. Uh, but let me just add one other commentary here because it ties into what our Haftor portion is about, about Elijah is that leaders um, what they do actually do with their hand is very small but what they do in what they speak forth and what they say uh... the policies they institute the principles that they express that's what does the great work that a leader does a leader builds an atmosphere for other smart people to do great things and in the case of phineas his statement changed the nation. It, it brought about a dramatic change in the misbehavior of those who had decided to follow the teaching of Balaam. And Balaam had encouraged Balak and the Mennonite kings, we'll send your young people down there and have them fraternize with one another, invite them to your festivals and, and so forth. We'll kind of mix things up. We'll be uh, multicultural kind of stuff. And in the meantime, that's how you get them to stop listening to Moses. And today we have the same thing. We have the teaching of Balaam. By the way, it's in the book of Revelation that says that. Um, we have the teaching of Balaam. Where there are teachers and leaders who stand up and say, you don't have to follow the teaching of Moses. I'm here to tell you, that's the exact teaching of Balaam. And what we should have is leaders standing up and saying that we need to hold to the teaching of Moses. And we need to follow the commandments that the Lord has given. That is not the teaching of Balaam. Now, I find it fascinating that Yeshua specifically speaks to the seven churches at the end of the age and specifically says, there are some of you who are following the teaching of Balaam. That, in in summary point, that is what the teaching of Balaam is. It's a mixture of things instead of holding to what Moses has taught us. And that's a good example of what leaders do. Uh, In every congregation, the leader will set the standard For the rest of the flock, what he wears, how he attires, how he conducts his business, how he ministers, it will set the atmosphere. And in every congregation, that's what leaders do. That's what elders do. Um, In this particular case of why was there such a severe judgment upon Zimri, it points out that Zimri was a prince of the tribe of Simeon. And that this young lady he was with um, was a princess of the Midianites. And he had enough prestige that certainly other men in in the tribe of Simeon would have listened to his counsel, would have followed his example. But because he was a prince within Israel, other tribes would have been affected by it as well. That's the reason why there was such a severe punishment that that came upon him by the hand of Phinehas from the Lord. We're going to have in this tour portion, it's, it, it picks up the story right after Elijah had slain the prophets of Baal. He had gone up on uh, Mount Carmel. They had built the altars. He had called down fire uh, from it. The Lord had consumed the altars. The people were motivated, and they slew the prophets of Baal. So our portion picks up right after that event. But it's, we're going to do a little examination in the life of Elijah, which I think is an examination in the life of all who go to minister in the name of the Lord. There's a common thing that happens here to all those who minister um, in the Lord. And for me, personally, this week, uh, preparing for the Hofthoah portion, boy, the Lord and the Spirit of the Lord just really showed me certain things in my life that was like in Elijah's life. Uh, And I found this to be very encouraging uh, to me personally. So let me begin uh, at verse 46 of chapter 18. Let me read just a bit for you. It says there, then the hand of the Lord was on Elijah and he girded up his loins and he outran Ahab to Jezreel. He comes off of the mountain. Ahab has got a chariot with horses. He outruns down the mountain. He outruns the horse with the chariot. To beat him to the location where they're going, verse two, then Jezebel sent a message messenger to Elijah, oh excuse me the the, the um, verse one of chapter nineteen. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Now Elijah runs down the mountain, gets there first, and he 's standing by, and Ahab gets there and and he tells Jezebel his wife. And Jezebel is the one who had promoted the worship of Baal and all of the prophets of Baal. And in fact, in her day, she was such a devastating that if you stood up with a testimony, of believing the God of Israel, you could get killed. That's how bad it had gotten up in the northern kingdom. And Elijah just got through making a bold statement about obeying the God of Israel and, and, the, and killing the prophets of Baal. So there's a huge statement that's been made here it was a very little thing on on elijah's hand but through him god made a huge statement he made a huge statement and it was now affecting the people how is it going to affect the king and his wife well the king rushes down to tell his wife what happened she on the other hand is not moved by this jezebel doesn't care that god sent fire down from the from heaven and consumed that, or that 400 prophets of Baal were just slain. And so what you see here is verse 2, Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah and said, So may the gods do to me and even more, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. He's basically saying, Well, you slew the prophets of Baal. I guarantee you that you will be just as dead as they are by this time tomorrow very threatening message Uh, and Jezebel is not reacting to this great thing that God has done she's fending off his testimony fending off the testimony of Elijah regardless of what Elijah has done, regardless of the sign that God has given she is going to stand up and still do her thing and she's threatening the prophet Elijah at this point verse 3 And he, we're talking to Elijah, was afraid and arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Beersheba is down in the land of Judah. All this that was going on was in the land of Israel with the house of Israel. He ran so far that he got to the point where he's beyond their jurisdiction. They wouldn't be sending servants down this far to get him. So he's trying to get to safety. Now, here's the contrast. The day before, God Elijah stands up boldly calling for fire to come down from heaven. God answers dramatic events, 400 prophets of Baal are killed. He goes down Jezebel threatens him and he flees for his life. If if God can take on 400 prophets of Baal, how come God can't take on Jezebel? And This figure Jezebel, the Jezebel figure, is a very powerful anti-God figure. And there are Jezebels that rise up at times. It's a female. And under the influence of a weak husband, a Jezebel will rise up and cause lots and lots of trouble for the brethren. In fact, they'll find themselves in conflict with God's servants. And um, that theme carries through, those warnings about that dynamic. But I want you to take note of, is Elijah a coward? Why is he so suspect to this? Why? And in fact, this portion is going to go a little bit further examining Elijah's despondency. And discouragement at this point, because despite what had just happened on Mount Carmel, he is discouraged. He is despondent. He is afraid. And so he continues to flee. Um, Verse 4 But he himself went to a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, some call it a broom tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. Um, you'd have to say a guy's pretty discouraged when he says, Oh God, go ahead and kill me. But why has he gone into the depths of depression and the depths of despondency? Over this threat from Jezebel. What? Why? Why is that taking place? Let me go ahead and give you the answer to this. I think that Elijah, when he went up and fire came down from heaven, I think he thought, well, God's just going to solve the whole problem at this point. We're just going to do this and all Israel is going to follow my counsel and everything will be great. Well, the remnant followed his counsel. But not the whole nation. And in fact, the principal enemy that was opposed to him, it didn't phase her at all. She just got more vicious. And by the way, in the ministry, we you will minister, we will go out, and we will do good deeds, works of the Lord. And those could include ministering into the heart of people and turning people's lives around, which, by the way, I consider as miracles. And people are receiving salvation uh people are being healed uh, encouragement people are being raised up in the lord the kingdom is being increased and so forth and we turn around and we expect that since we're doing that god is immediately going to just you know take our lead there and we'll just sweep through the whole world and win the whole world and it doesn't happen that way and in fact it comes to a point where after you've labored your life done the best you can do, that you suddenly look back and you're asking yourself, well, what in the world did I really accomplish for the kingdom? And you're trying to justify yourself. You're trying to figure out, now, I I committed myself to follow the Lord. What did I accomplish for the Lord's kingdom? Now, I'm talking about a lot of ministers and, and servants do this. And they suddenly realize that what Solomon was talking about all is vanity. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. I went out, I worked, I labored, and like, what? Moses, 40 years, labored to help the children of Israel. To go through the wills and experience, to give them the Torah, build the tabernacle, establish the priesthood. A lot of tremendous things. And he knows the next generation is going to cross over in the land and not do it. So what did he really accomplish? Elijah brought down fire from heaven. What did he really accomplish? What what had, what has transpired and changed, really? And we hear these stories and we ask ourselves, well, what's, what's the impact on us? You can get easily discouraged being a minister of the Lord when you don't see the results you were hoping for. Uh, on a personal note, let me just, and, and I, I'm not complaining, I'm showing you the personal application for me from this, Monty. So, as a young man, you became a believer. You learned how to disciple men. You discipled men. You led men to the Lord. You discipled them. They're still working and operating today. Today. You still speak with men that in your youth you led to the Lord that you discipled. They're still here today. Then I got involved in the Messianic ministry many years ago, over 30 years ago. I've now been teaching Torah for more than 30 years. Step back for a moment. What have we accomplished well, there's a lot of people who did hear the teaching and came into the Messianic movement. Praise the Lord. A lot of people's lives have been turned around. Families have been turned around. I've, I've, I've received many notes and letters and so forth to bear those testimonies out and so forth. But here we are today in the Messianic movement. And let me go ahead and just tell you something. I look around the Messianic movement and for all the teaching I have done, all the stuff I have done, I still don't see the present time and people Keeping the Sabbath or the festivals. That's the obvious stuff. Where's the wisdom that the Torah gives you to make good judgments and decisions? And I still see people struggling because of poor judgments. So, what did we accomplish? Older people look at the younger generation and we just have to, we just have to give them up and we just have to turn them over to the Lord and all we can do is pray for them because they won't listen to the counsel that we gave to them. They will not take advantage of the experience that we've gained, the wisdom that we have gained. They won't take advantage. They got to do it their own way. So what did I accomplish? Very little. The Lord gets all the credit, and my hand was very small. When I started uh, Lion of Land Ministries, I had a very serious conversation with the Lord. I consider it to be a, a, reali- a realistic conversation with the Lord. I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, look look at my situation. I'm married. I've got two little kids. I've got a computer. i got my Bible. I've got some insights and what you've given to me and I I, I want to share this with my brethren I said but quite honestly Lord of all that's going on in the world all the different teachers there are all the different spiritual and religious things that exist I am but a pebble splash in a sea of ideas and that I just go plink and that's supposed to affect the whole world that's supposed to affect the whole sea from the very beginning i realized i didn't have the capacity or the power to i can't do i can't change the world well the lord did give me answer and he told me that that pebble splash is a wave and that he is able to take that wave and turn it into a tidal wave that will hit another place far away and i've seen the lord do that i've seen certain teachings that i gave how i spoke on certain things i've seen that wave go out in fact one of the very first teachings i ever did publicly in the messianic movement called uh, uh the uh, it was about wisdom it was It had a dramatic impact on the audience where I was at. We got a recording of it, and it was some ten years after I gave that teaching, somebody sent me a letter, and they just heard that teaching ten years later, and they wanted to tell me how it affected them and and so so that, I, as time goes on, I know those teachings are still having an impact. The Lord's still using them, and that's great. that's wonderful. but where, where, I'm like elijah, what what have we got accomplished? I just came off of uh, Mount Carmel. We just threw, flew, or er, uh, uh, slew 400 prophets of Baal, and here we are with the leaders and people making decisions now, and it didn't have any impact whatsoever. General MacArthur said that old soldiers don't die, they just fade away. And to a certain extent, I think that if you commit your life to service in the Lord, you don't really die. You have the hope of the resurrection and so You just fade away. The only thing they're going to remember, in my estimation, is any act of kindness that you did. And maybe occasionally, maybe something you said. That's it. And here's Elijah, very despondent. What has he accomplished? He doesn't feel he's accomplished anything, but he still has more work that the Lord wants him to do. and we'll see how this transpires for us. Verse five and he lay down and slept under a juniper tree and behold there was an angel to, uh, there was an angel touching him and he said to him, "Arise and eat." Then he looked and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones. And a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again a second time and he touched him and he said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. You're getting ready to go somewhere, Elijah. We have some place we want you to go. So he arose, verse 8, and ate and drank and went in the strength of the food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb. That's Mount Sinai again. You know, where Moses... Was that Mount Sinai? Elijah goes there. And the mountain of God. Verse 9. Then he came there to a cave. Wait a minute. That's interesting. That's where Moses was at. When he stood in the cleft of the rock and God revealed his glory to him. This is the place where Elijah has gone back to. And he lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him. Now, this is really incredible. (laughs) <laughs> he's been directed to go down here, but this is what God does to him. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? It's, he, you know, to get him out of the despondency, he's got to ask him a series of key questions. If if somebody comes in and is depressed and discouraged, one of the things you do in the counseling process of is you have to, you don't make statements to them about, boy, you're depressed. You got to just snap out of it. You ought to just go, get, you know, stop being depressed. That doesn't work. What does work is to ask them questions well tell me tell me about your relationship with God beforehand. What was it like? You know before you were depressed, and you go back to the good things, even in a marriage counseling, when you have a couple come in and they, they want to you know split the bed sheets, you ask them the question if you're counseling them to reunite. Now, start with me again and tell me how did you meet her and why did you fall in love with her and you, ma'am, why did you fall in love? Why did you guys decide to get married? Let's go back to the original decisions because something is different now and you guys have decided those original decisions don't apply anymore. Why? Get them to think through the process. And a lot of times that's the process where you have to dismantle the harmful things, the depressing things, and you got to put them in proper definition and context. They're not as bad as what they think they are and let's dismiss him, and let's get him to go away, and let's take the burden off. Let's le- take the burden off and set it aside, and let's get back to living and doing the things the Lord had us do from the very beginning. So he's brought him down there, so he's starting to ask him questions. So you're, you're depressed, Elijah. What are you doing here? Now, the obvious answer is, well, I came here where you met with Moses, and you spoke Your Ten Commandments from this mountain. I just came from a mountain. You showed fire down on the mountain. And I'm back at this mountain, the original beginning of how the children of Israel got started. I'm back here where it all got started. Verse 10, and he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, torn down thine altars, and killed thy prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Tell me, God, where is the victory in where we're at now? The very people that we went to minister to, they're the ones that have cast us off. They're the ones killing us. Where's the victory in that? Pretty good question. Verse 11, so he said, go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord And behold, the Lord was passing by. Now he tells him, he says, he's in the cave, and he says, I want you to stand up here before the Lord. So Elijah starts to gather himself, and all of a sudden, the Lord goes passing by, and a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of gentle blowing. Hold it. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You remember we're going back to the mountain with the original thing. What did God do back then? Did he not have an earthquake with the children of Israel, did he not break rocks apart? And when the God, God's voice spoke, he shattered acacia trees, animals calved. People were full of fear and trembling. It was pushing their flesh back against their bones. Their bones were rattling. You know, it, it was a dramatic event that God spoke. And so God shows all of that, shall we say, environmental stuff. It go, it's so fearsome, he can't step out of the cave yet. And then all of a sudden, there's just a gentle breeze. And now he can step out. So the Lord's making a rather interesting statement to Elijah. Verse 13, and it came about when Elijah heard it, then he wrapped his face in his mantle. And by the way, it's a reference to his talib. He wrapped his face like this kind of conceal himself. And he went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and he said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Let's think about this now. What are you doing here? What's really happening? Listen to his answer. He repeats it. I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, torn down thy altars, killed thy prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. He repeats what was before, but God just passed by and he's saying the same thing. He's not quite getting it, what God's really doing to him. But here's what the Lord says to him next. Verse 15. The Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazael king over Aram. By the way, Aram is the area that we know to be um, Syria today. It's from Damascus to the east. That land there is that land. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Zaphat, of abel mehulah you shall anoint as prophet in your place. This is where the decision is made. I want you to go to Elijah and I want you to start training him up. He's told to anoint two kings, one that is to the north, that's not an Israelite, and to anoint a new king for the house of Israel, and to anoint Elijah. So his task now is, I want you to go do some anointing. And it shall come about the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha, shall put to death. Now, the Lord's going to carry out punishment and judgment against Jezebel and against those that are with her. So he sets it up. I'm going to have the enemies outside of Israel and the people in Israel, they're going to take care of it. I'm going to raise them up so that they have no place to escape. It will be complete. And by the way, in the end, another prophet will come to him, Elisha, and he will finish them off. The work you started, Elijah, is setting the stage for massively winning the nation back against the prophets of Baal. You think you haven't done it, but the fact of the matter is, what you've accomplished has set the stage for the real victory. Now, the reason why, and then it goes on to say, verse 18, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So they departed from there and found Elisha, and he anointed him, and Elijah says goodbye to his family, and he begins to take on the task of being in training under the leadership of Elijah. So, Monty, here we are turning 68 years old today. I look back on my life, what I've accomplished. I've been serving the Lord with as much zeal as I could, committing my life, my family to the service of the Lord. My son has been raised up, my daughter has been raised up, they're worshiping the Lord and they're serving the Lord today. I've committed my whole future. I walked away from my aerospace career so I could serve the Lord. And I have. And now I've come to the station of life where it's like I do more looking back than I do looking forward. And I'm asking myself, well, okay, what am I doing here? Let me tell you what he told Elijah to do that was going to be even more powerful than all that he'd done. He told him, he said, I want you to get into the business of anointing people. I'm not making an announcement at this point, but we are seriously looking at the issue of succession here at Lionel Land Ministries. We want Lionel Ministries to continue. It's not wholly dependent upon me. We want, we've been building it so it would be a viable messianic ministry that will continue on, regardless of whether I'm here or not. One of the tasks that we have in succession is to decide who will be the new director. And this is a serious question for the board of directors to decide. And there's no set done thing on this, but one of the things that I've been doing seriously is taking my son and trying to train him. And it's a little bit like Elijah trying to train Elisha. And there's a day coming when I'm going to take my anointing God's put upon me, and I'm probably going to put it on the new director. And it might just be my son, that I will put my anointing God gave me, and I will put it on him. And it will probably be the most powerful thing I've ever done in the kingdom of God. Because he's going to go on to, if he's anointed of the Lord, he will go on and do things like Elijah did, even greater things than Elijah And hopefully the new director of this ministry, whenever that is, will go forward and accomplish even more than I've been able to accomplish. And this will continue from generation to generation. And many more people will be edified and increased in the kingdom. Now, if that's what turns out, the same thing that turned out for Elijah, that would be good. There's no reason for me to be despondent. There's no reason for me to be looked down on myself. Oh, woe is me. What did I accomplish? I got to serve the Lord and be part of his kingdom. And I was able to pass some things on to some others and help them too. What is wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. That is a good thing. These principles about Elijah, he never wrote a book in the Bible. But do you know that when we talk of the old, we speak of Moses and Elijah? Moses, the lawgiver, Elijah, the prophet, who was one of the greatest prophets of Israel. And I hope that one day that my work, my labor in the kingdom, will count for something in the kingdom. And that the Lord will be able to even use that testimony Uh, to go forward and to encourage other people. That's the best I can ask for. So there's no reason for me to be discouraged. When exactly does the baton get passed? When exactly does the anointing take place? That's up to the Lord. I have no idea. I'm sure everybody's going to say, well, Monty, we'd really like you to hang around for a long time. But the truth of the matter is the Lord is really trying to Increase the kingdom and if when the time comes the new director should come in and take over, he knows the right time and then it will happen. And I pray that you as brethren, the remnant of Israel, will continue to be encouraged and strengthened just like Elijah did with the house of Israel. Shabbat Shalom.
1: Shabbat Shalom. If you would please now turn in your
0: Bibles to the book of John, the Gospel of John, to chapter 2. Hold your finger at verse 13, where our Brit Hotshot portion will begin for this week. And as you open the scripture, let us turn this time over to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your teaching and your instruction. Father, we uh, as we dig into the word this week, Father, I pray that you would speak to us. Uh, through the words on the page, and that you would minister to us in whatever's going on uh, in this week. And, Father, just we pray that your word comes alive as it is powerful, as it is sharper than any two-edged sword. Father, I pray that it would uh, penetrate our hearts and minds this week, and um, that we might learn more of your works and your ways. We bless you, and we thank you for this time. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Our Torah portion this week is the portion of Phineas. Uh, he is the man, he was the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron. He was Aaron's grandson, who is the man who did something incredibly bold to save the entire congregation of Israel. This is uh, one of those stories that um, is here coming to the end of the story of the children of Israel in the wilderness. We, they're approaching the end of the 40 years and are getting ready to go and cross over into the promised land. And there's this entire generation of, belief of to the children of Israel that had to pass away before they could enter into the land. It was the second generation that obviously went into the land. Now, as we're coming to the end of the book of Numbers, um, that's when the story is starting to get toward the end. And then Deuteronomy, of course, is the repetition of the law and the recounting of all the words and the stories and what happened during in the course of the wilderness. So this is one of those another one of those times in which a rebellion uh, arose in the congregation of Israel. Um, Phineas, he gets the honor of his name being the name of this Torah portion. Now, sometimes there's only a few Torah portions that, that have the honor of somebody's name being named after it. Sometimes it's for good things like Jethro and Phineas. Sometimes it's for bad things like Balak and Korah, who also have Torah portions named after them. And so this is one of the cases in which Phineas uh, gets the honor of having his name recorded throughout the annals of, of, the history of Israel for doing something incredibly brave, bold, and absolutely necessary for the salvation of the children of Israel. What, happened there, of course, is that the daughters of Midian went and intermarried and intermingled with the sons of Israel. This was from the council of Balaam, which, you know, last week's portion, he was only able to bless the children of Israel, but of course he told Balak, he said, look, if you really want to curse the children of Israel, here's what you got to do. You've got to get them to curse themselves. So what you're going to do is you're going to send all the daughters of the Midianites and, and, and all these pagan worship practices, send the daughters in there, have them fornicate with those daughters, and then they will curse themselves. And of course, that's exactly what happened. Children of Israel, not being able to control themselves, were basically uh, committing idolatry, adultery, um, you name it, that's what was going on. And so then there was a great plague that broke out amongst the children of Israel. So much so that at the end of all this, 24,000 sons of Israel die. But it was was stopped and it was halted by the actions of Phinehas. What he did, of course, was he took a javelin, and when a son of uh, Israel, particularly one of the Simeonites came and paraded his new wife in front of the entire congregation and paraded her, one of the daughters of Midian, right into his tent to consummate his new marriage in front of everyone, knowing that this was a great sin amongst the camp of Israel. Phineas, he grabs a javelin while everybody else is standing there shocked. He grabs a javelin, he goes running into that tent, and he puts a shish kebab through the two of them, killing them in the midst of whatever they were doing, and that is what was necessary to halt the plague and halt the sin that was going on in the camp of Israel. Phineas receives an incredible blessing from this in our Torah portion, which begins in Numbers chapter 25. Uh, talks about how he is given the covenant of peace. Something that is 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 a blessing that's put upon him that has never that's not really said about anybody else in all of Scripture, and there's ties to this phrasing, the covenant of peace, with other uh, passages of Scripture, namely Isaiah 54, uh, Ezekiel 34, and Ezekiel 37, that that phrase is mentioned in other times. Knowing that there is some incredible blessing that comes upon Phineas, his family, his descendants, because of this action that he took place. What we want to look at here in the Brit Hadashah is that we want to look for parallels and passages that can encourage us and strengthen us in the same way and, and parallel the actions of what Phineas actually did. If you look up the traditional Brit Hadashah readings for this Torah portion, what you'll instead find is you'll find every reference um Uh, in the Brit Hadashah to any holiday whether it's Passover whether it's the Feast of Weeks whether it's any of the the celebrations or appointed times of the Lord in in the traditional readings for this Torah portion it lists any time that some holiday is mentioned in the New Testament this is because also in our Torah portion which includes Numbers chapters 28 and 29 it goes over all of the commandments and sacrifices that take place on those holidays so most of the traditional readings all tie to Numbers chapter 28 and 29, but because the Torah portion of Phineas is very much about his name, the story of Phineas, and that that story has such a such an impact and has such a visual creates such a visual memory or a visual uh, imagination of what actually happened there, that is really the more impactful story that's from our Torah portion. So let's go to some New Testament passages that I believe tie into and relate to what Phineas did. So beginning here in John chapter 2 at verse 13, as I read this story of the Messiah going into the temple to cleanse the temple, you get the sense or, and you immediately see the similarities and the parallels between this story here and what Phineas had to do uh, back with the in the wilderness with the children of Israel. So beginning here, the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verse 13, it says this. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Yeshua went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had, when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the, the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves... Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then he, his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show us, do you show us since you do these things? And Yeshua answered and said to them, Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them. And they believed the scripture and the word which Yeshua had said. This is the story, of course, the overturning of the of the money changers and the tables and, and making a cord and whipping people. And I always love uh, the the pictures and the memes when it's talking about Yeshua and it's talking about Jesus. And it's all like, do what... Jesus would do, um, which always is a phrase that we would say about showing love and compassion to our fellow brethren. But, of course, this story here is it's like if you really want to say, well, what would Jesus do? It's all like, well, Jesus did form a whip and started whipping people and flipping tables. So that's not out of the realm of possibility if I'm going to do what Jesus did. And so that, it's one of those things where you see the righteous indignation of the Messiah being stirred up inside of him to do something that is bold something that appears to be hostile or violent and when you sort of get this picture this idea sometimes the messiah that the the christian church might portray or that some believers will portray to you it's like oh it's this you know loving caring shepherd and it's all like no the messiah also did some things that were absolutely necessary for the sake of holiness for the sake of his father's house And these are the same things why a parent who spanks their child is not doing it because they have malice against their child. They're doing it because they love their child. And you might think, and some people actually have that idea or that mentality, like, oh, it's so violent and terrible to spank your child. No, when they are in need of discipline, these things are not out of the realm of possibility. You've got to remember the Messiah made a whip of cords and started whipping people to get them out of the to get them out of the temple who's selling things and turning the house of the Lord into a den of thieves, as some translations call it. And this is sometimes a necessary correction when it comes to what the children of Israel and what God's people need, what they need to hear, what they need to see, knowing that you have to have this boldness to fix a problem. And when you see a problem, are you just going to stand by idly and do nothing? Or are you going to have the boldness to step out and to do something about it and to fix it? That's what Phineas had. Phineas absolutely had that boldness that was necessary to go in and stop a plague amongst the children of Israel, just like the Messiah had the boldness to come and cleanse the temple, to flip these tables, to dump out the money, to, to, to scatter the animals away, so that the house of the Lord might be preserved, so that we are not mixing profane things with the work of the Lord, with the house of God. So the so the parallel here is, is very clear, easy to draw um, from this story to the story of Phineas. Now, the thing that I want to draw out also in, in a couple more passages is talking about how we have, as believers, confidence in the Lord. You can definitely tell when it comes to Phineas. He, he was not lacking in confidence. He was not lacking in boldness to do what he feels like he had to do in that situation and that's one of the things as believers that i don't think that we should go around trying to be a modern day phineas you know it's like some of us might you know it's like man phineas i really admire him i want to be phineas i want to take a spear and i want to stab a sinner like mm, no that might not necessarily be what your calling is Uh, it's one of those things where yes if there is something that is dramatic going on, and a plague breaking out of just complete sin, debauchery, or or, or something along those lines, and no one else is doing anything, then Phineas had to do what he had to do. And it's like, I don't think that those are situations that we go and seek out. We don't find those situations. Now, maybe one day the Lord might put you in a situation for you to do something about, but that's not It's not that we go out looking for trouble, looking to stab a sinner because we want to be Phineas. It's like, no, something very specific, a very specific blessing went upon Phineas. And this was a a very critical juncture in the life of Israel and the children of Israel in the wilderness. That this is not something that you, you you don't just end up saying like, you might say, I, I, I admire Phineas. But there is probably a very rare circumstance that there would, ever, that the Lord would cause you, desiring to be like Phineas, that he would raise you up to be a modern-day Phineas. Let's not go looking for trouble, looking to uh, judge one another or to, to do these things, because th- these are the sort of things that we have to know that the Lord... His spirit is the one that causes all these things to happen. It's not the will of any man. See, that's the thing about Phineas. It was not by his own will that he did this. It was the spirit of and, and this righteous indignation that stirred up inside of him that God put there. He didn't choose to be that guy, but God put it there. And this, of course, Phineas being the grandson of Aaron, he was uh, he, he was a younger man. He was not maybe one of the most well-known leaders of, of the camp. In fact, when the judgment came about not going into the uh, promised land, he was less than the age of 20 because their story continues with him into the book of Joshua that he was alive in the land. So that means he was younger than 20 when the spies came with the bad report. So he was one of that second generation that was able to go into the land. That's something else to keep in mind. If you were talking about somebody who's going to be a modern day Phineas, it's going to be somebody who it's going to come from a source that maybe you don't uh you might not think it would come from somebody who's younger, somebody who somebody's stirred inside his heart to do what's right in in that moment while the older generation is the one doing all kinds of crazy things. It's somewhere in that younger generation that played the role of Phineas. So this is just something else that, you know, history does have a way of repeating itself. We'll have to see, you know, if the Lord is ever going to raise up another person or situation like Phineas in our modern times. But again, what I want to go back to is this, is this confidence that we as believers, that we all need to have. If you would now turn with me to 2 Corinthians to chapter 5. This is talking about how that um, we need to have this this confidence in the Lord um, in that we follow him, that we walk by faith, not by sight. And this is a passage of scripture that as I was looking and studying for more passages that might encourage us and strengthen us, um, this is one as I'm just flipping uh, through, this one stuck out to me. So I want to share this passage with you guys for this Brit Hadashah portion, for the portion of Phineas. Let's start with chapter 1 or, sorry, verse 1 of chapter 5, and see what Paul is saying here. And it's interesting how there's even some of these literal parallels being talked about here that actually can tie to the story of Phineas as well. Verse 1, chapter 5, it says this, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens." For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we should, shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent, this earthly physical tent, groan, being burdened. Not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. Who has also forgiven us the Spirit as a guarantee? See, this is talking about how we should have a desire to worship the Lord more. That we should desire to, to, to that, you know, these earthly things that are before us, that we have before us, is is temporary, mortal. And if we truly have a desire to dwell with God, to worship God, we're we're desiring for more. We're desiring to be clothed with spiritual things, living in a in a house or a tent that is not made with hands but is prepared for us by God. And so then it's talking about how, you know, but yes, we are sitting here in our tent and that we are in our physical tent surrounded with mortality and that we if we have a desire to follow the Lord, we're we're seeking after greater things. I think it's interesting talking about this tent, talking about being being clothed, and that if we go the other way, if we instead are satisfied with the earthly tent that we have, then we're satisfied with our earthly possessions and the things that we have here. And we have no desire to seek for anything else. And see, when you're talking about the sin of the children of Israel, when you're talking about any sin that they ever got caught up in, whether that's sexual immorality, whether it's caught up in rebellion or greed or or whatever... They're always all of those things are always driven by earthly possessions, earthly power, earthly uh, uh, desires, worldly desires. That's what those things are driven by. In the case of Zimri, the son of Israel, who married, who's who's parading his Midian wife, Midianite princess, uh, Cosby, and and doing this, he clearly all he's focused on is what is earthly and worldly and what is before him, and he is satisfied with his tent as it is, with no desire for something that's greater. And that it's like, no, and he found himself, and that dude died naked, literally died naked because of his worldly desires, not seeking anything out greater than or, or, or doing what was right because God is the one who had brought him there. And so these are things that we need to be mindful as being believers We're seeking after something greater. We cannot get caught up in these worldly, temporary, mortal temptations that get into our minds and fill our hearts, and that's how we get caught up in these rebellions. Verse 6, it says this, So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well-pleased, Rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. See, this is what we're doing. It's like whatever happens in our in the in the physical world here, in the mortal world, we know that we are here and we are separate from the Lord. Instead, what we do, we walk by faith, not by what we can physically see. And so that every action that we take is With the mindset of that we are in the presence of God. What would we do if we were in the presence of God at all times? This is kind of, this is another one of those little phrases. Instead of saying, what would Jesus do? Or what would Yeshua do? It's like, no. What would you do if the Lord was standing with you right here, right now, right next to you? What would you do? Would you be found amongst a den of sinners? Would you be partaking in all of these different things? And it's like, no, if the Lord was standing right here and if he looked over at me and he says, so what are you going to do about it? Well, that's what Phineas, that maybe is the imaginary conversation that Phineas had with the Lord. Excuse me. Phineas is standing there, all of the sins going on. And the Lord, you know, if he's speaking to to Phineas or, or having a conversation in his heart and he says, is this the camp of the Lord? The Lord's presence is here with us in this camp. And the Lord, you know, we, we know the Lord has the power to strike all these men dead. In fact, a plague is starting to break out. And it's like, but this plague is spreading. It's like, that's what the Lord's going to do. And then the Lord might be looking over Phineas and be like, hey, is anybody else going to do anything about this? And Phineas, with all the confidence, says, it's like, you know what? The presence of the Lord is here. I am not, I, I'm walking by faith. Now, by sight, I might be like, man, I, I don't know if I ever would pick up a javelin and go stab one of my fellow brethren. But Phineas, he, knowing that it was about the presence of the Lord, it was about holiness, did what he did. Not by physical ideas did he do these things. But he had most definitely confidence in him being a believer in God. Verse 9, let's continue on. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God. And I also trust are well known in your consciences. This is, I love that word aim when you say there, therefore we take our aim. Aim is something that is very intentional. It's what you intended to do. And if you have good aim, then you achieve the goal that you're trying to accomplish. I guarantee you that Phineas, what he did was very surgical, very intentional. The two people that he went after this leader amongst the, the children of Israel from the tribe of Simeon, that it was a very surgical strike that ceased the plague. It was He knew exactly what he was doing and that it would be well-pleasing to God to do what he did. Now, that's the problem with Anybody else that might want to be a modern day Phineas and they want to start, you know, pointing out the judgment and pour out judgment upon other sinners, they would take a javelin and they'd just kind of hurl it in the general direction of where sinners would be. And you don't know who you might hit if you were to hurl a javelin into a group of sinners. You might hit someone who's innocent. You might hit somebody who is, who, who, who's like collateral damage and you won't strike against the one who is truly committing the sin if you decide to throw a javelin amongst the brethren. Phineas did not hurl the javelin, I mean he went in with it, he did not let it go and he knew exactly what he was doing. His aim was true for what he needed to do in that situation. And that, again, everyone, this passage is continuing on, everyone has to give an account to the Lord. Whether good or bad, what you've done in the world, you have to give an account to those things. And so you have to have good conscience that you are doing what's right before the Lord. Again, this is like, okay, if you're timid, if you don't have the confidence, you might say, oh, it's like, oh man, I don't know. I don't know if that's right. I don't know if that's right. I'm gonna, I really want to pray for this person, but I don't know. I might pray wrong or I might do this or I really want to say this to encourage somebody or or somebody asked me about uh, being messianic in the grocery store. Am I going to have the boldness or confidence to talk to them about that? Or am I going to eh, kind of shy away from it? And it's like this is the sort of thing where anytime you put yourself in that position, you want to be able to say, I have the confidence to do it. I would do what the Lord wants me to do in that situation instead of that timidness. Knowing, look, if I say something wrong, if I make a mistake, if I, if, if, I, if I don't say the right things, you know, yeah, you know what, I'll have to answer for that and I'll, I'll accept the fact that I, I made that mistake. I'll take the good with the bad, knowing I have to give an account to the Lord. But as a believer, we should have the confidence to do what is right. That's the thing that we can learn from Phineas. Now, maybe we can't have that much confidence or that much boldness. But we can at least aspire to be more confident in whatever actions we take with our fellow believers or with people who are unbelievers. People who are caught up in their sin and how you as a believer, how are you going to minister to them? How are you going to pull them up out of the pit that they've fallen in or the pattern of sin that they've fallen into? And sometimes it might take compassion and love. Sometimes it takes boldness and you got to you got to jump in there and get your hands dirty. I believe you me when Phineas walked out of that tent, he was dirty. He was covered in blood for what he just did. And it was quite a sight, quite a shock. But according to Scripture, there's no question what Phineas did was right in the eyes of the Lord. That is what you have to do. Maybe not to that level, but sometimes you've got to get your hands dirty and you've got to have that confidence, that boldness to do what you have to do. Let me finish out reading uh, 2 Corinthians 5 so we can just get the whole story of this passage here uh, that the Apostle Paul is writing for us. Uh, now at verse 12. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, and those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh... Yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Yeshua Messiah and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself This is, uh, I love this passage of scripture. I love this whole idea that it's like that. God is putting these things and giving us the ministry of reconciliation. This is exactly what many believers, this is what he really calls a lot of believers to do. To reconcile between the things of the world and the things of God. To reconcile between sin and death. So that that person might be changed and might come into community or discussion or, or that they can be reconciled. Even though they've sinned and walked away from God, they can be reconciled to God. Their sins may be forgiven so that they can then be in covenant with God once again. This is what the work of all believers are. Now, Phineas absolutely did the work in the ministry of reconciliation. He reconciled the sin that was amongst the children of Israel in a very violent way. And so, however, so in the same vein, we all are called to this ministry of reconciliation between the world and with God. We are now ambassadors of the Messiah. We represent him. We represent what God would do. Now, the one time Messiah flips some tables. And if there's calls for it, then we might do that. And we might do that job for the Lord in some situation. But in other times, in other situations, what he actually went to is he went and he ministered to the poor. He ministered to the Samaritans. He healed people. He cast out demons. He did all of these other works in the course of his ministry. And if we are to act, we act on his behalf as ambassadors. We don't boast because of what we do, because of what we did. Phineas, I guarantee you, Through, the, uh, would hope, now we don't have a whole lot of detail on there, but he didn't come in and Phineas be this guy that's like, yep, I'm the guy that fixed it. I'm the guy that stopped that plague. Now, other people might have said that about him. I guarantee you, Phineas, he, was, he rose in the ranks as far as respect and honor from amongst the children of Israel when he did what he did. This thing that he did so boldly to save the children of Israel. And other people boasted for him. God boasted for him, giving him the covenant of peace and and all these things. He doesn't have to boast for himself. Same with us. We don't boast for ourselves. We simply represent God and what he does. God will raise us up. God will exalt us in due time when we have done something that is worthy of being exalted by God. We must take the humble approach, humble ourselves. In all of these things so that so that we truly are the proper representation of the Messiah and what God has called us to do so that we work in the ministry of reconciliation. That is what we should aspire to turn with me now to Ephesians to the end of the book uh, to chapter six. There's. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the armor of God. This passage uh, that um, many of us are familiar with, but there's an interesting connection to Phineas that maybe you, you've never noticed before. But again, it has to do once again with this uh, with this boldness that Phineas had. Because if you think about it, Phineas, the 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 javelin, the the stabbing somebody. This was a war that Phineas did. In fact, uh, Phineas, I believe my brother Rico is called Phineas, the priest of war. That there was something that very violent and had to go to battle to do this, uh, to, uh, to do what Phineas did. Yet he was a priest and, and that there, there's, a, there's a battle being fought here by Phineas. So let's talk about the armor of God, which you could probably say and you'd like, look, the, Phineas was girded with these pieces of armor, the this spiritual armor that he needed to go and do what he did. So let's read here beginning at verse 10, Ephesians 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be, with, be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Knowing our battle is not with flesh and blood. It's against the, the, the spirits and the enemy of the Lord. And Phineas knew this. This is what the sin was doing. This is what he was bringing into the camp. It was a spiritual battle, not just a physical one with flesh and blood. Verse 14, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Gospel of peace, covenant of peace. There, there's a connection there to Phineas, of course. Above all, taking up the shield of faith, with which, uh, um, with which you are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the hem- helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, be watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. This is the spiritual battle that we have to do. We put on this armor and then our prayer is sometimes the the, the weapon of war. The thing that we use, that supplication that we submit to God to fight our battles for us. This is kind of tied into the, to the armor of God. But verse 19, hear this. And for me, this is Paul speaking. That utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. This is Paul, and uh, what we believe is that he was in prison at the time writing this to the Ephesians, and that he is speaking, and when he writes, he writes with this boldness to speak of these things. Again, there's that boldness, there's that confidence that we need. And this is sort of this is part of the the, the ministering, the teaching, the, the education to all believers. That you know we gotta sometimes have that boldness to speak, even when we feel like maybe we don't even have a position to speak. An ambassador in chains. I'm an, adba- an ambassador to God, yet I am chained. I'm in prison right now. I am in a physical uh, prison. That yet I represent God in this place. Well, you know what I do is I do what I can do. I speak boldly writing these letters, sending them out, getting these letters out so that the information, so that the word could be spoken boldly and to minister to the people, to the brethren, who needs to hear it. And he opens his mouth boldly. Have you ever heard, or um, you might know this, what is the meaning of Phineas' name? The meaning of Phineas' name is kind of strange. It's kind of, kind of strange. It's broken up into a couple of different words, Hebrew words, trying to ascertain what, what it is. The the first meaning is mouth that the word mouth has something to do with Phineas because the pe it means mouth the first part of his name and then uh the last part Phineas or Nahash is sometimes related to it's translated two different ways one is brass or copper and so sometimes the meaning that you might look it up uh, the meaning of the name Phineas means mouth of brass which is kind of strange, kind of weird. Okay, what, what do we know about brass? Okay, it's strong. It's, it's, it's a metal. It's, 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 it's got some strength to it. So, so when Phineas spoke, it had strength to it. Or brass is also what his symbols are made out of, and that the, the clanging, there's this loudness, there's this strength to what he says. The thing that's fascinating in the juxtaposition of all of this is that Phineas didn't say much when he did what he did. He took the javelin, he went and did it. It doesn't say that he said anything. Now, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But the boldness of what he did was not lip service of what he said, but it's what he did. The actions are where the strength of what he did was. So we're talking about a mouth of brass. It's not that his mouth was a clanging symbol, but it had, there's some power behind it. The other translation for Nahash, rather than being brass, is actually serpent. Mouth of a serpent is also sometimes what's believed to actually be the meaning of Phineas's name. Mouth of a serpent. Okay, that's different. It's not that a mouth speaks loudly like a clanging cymbal, and, and the, the bravado and the boldness of his speech is where is what you commend Phineas for. But instead, it's like the mouth of a serpent. Remember that surgical strike that I kind of described in him. See, that's what a serpent does. Serpent when it strikes, it does so silently. Quickly, swiftly, it can happen so fast you didn't even know it was coming. Mouth of a serpent. That's what Phineas did. It was not about what he said. It was not this boldness of speech that he had. But it was this boldness, this swiftness, and this ability to silently strike what needs to be struck. Now, you might say about a serpent, serpent represents Masatan, the adversary and things like that. Yeah, but serpent was also the thing that was you know, made of bronze, put on a pole and brought life to the people when they looked upon it. As the Messiah said, when I'm raised up like the serpent in, in the wilderness by Moses, then you will see I am. Then you will see the Son of God and you will see and life will, will be given to you. So that serpent Yes, represents certain things in Scripture, but it also represents sometimes that means by which life is given and death is halted. Mouth of a serpent—that's what Phineas did. It was bold. It was—it was—it was was would have been an incredible sight to see. But anyone who saw it and then saw what happened afterwards would know that death had been stopped and that life, so that life could continue. That's what the Messiah did for us, and that's what Phineas did for the children of Israel in the wilderness at the end of the 40 years to put a halt to the plague. What an incredible uh, parallel that is, of course, to to Phineas and what that represents. May we aspire, may we learn from him, aspire to be like him, not to be another Phineas, but to understand the boldness, the confidence, and, and the surgical precision we might need sometimes to put a halt to sin that is in our midst and to uh, bring life to the congregation and the whole household of Israel that we find ourselves in. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for uh, the blessing of this teaching, this instruction. Father, I pray that we would be encouraged and strengthened as we read the stories of old Lord from uh, whoever we might be reading about, Lord, whether that's Joshua or Moses or King David or the Messiah or Phineas, Lord. Father, may the testimonies of what we read minister to us, strengthen us, encourage us in our walk, in our most holy faith. Father, as we uh, read about these, these great men, Lord, and we, we know the, these men were not perfect. There's only one that was perfect, Lord, and that was the Messiah himself. But, Father, I pray that we would always be able to glean what we need to learn from these stories. May, may we uh, do everything that we must in our own lives, Lord, that when we give an account to you that we take the good with the bad, that we do what was right in your eyes, Lord. And Father, we, we, we might not do it perfectly every time, Father, but may we still have the confidence, may we not be timid or shy to do what we feel is necessary, Lord, within your body, within, within the body of believers, Lord, to, to speak boldly, to do what is necessary, Lord, so that life may continue to prosper in your household and in your life. Father, may, may every congregation we find ourselves in be a household of faith, a household of worship, Lord, that is uh, th- that is worthy of you, Lord, and is not one that is unnecessary of being overturned or to, to be wh- whipped away, Father, that, uh, that the people, Lord, would come humbly before you, worship you, submit to you, and be led by your Holy Spirit in all things. So, Father, we thank you for this encouragement, this teaching this week. We give you all the honor, glory, and praise in this place. It's in your Son, Yeshua,
1: that we pray. Amen. Shabbat shalom. Tie
4: you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The depths of the earth are in his hands, and the mountain peaks are
3: his. The depths of the earth are in his hands, and the mountain peaks are his. His is the sea for he made it by his hands. He found dry land. His is the sea for he made it by his hands. Worship and bow down Kneel before the Lord our Maker Worship and bow down Kneel before the Lord our Maker Come and worship and bow down Kneel before the Lord our Maker for joining us this broadcast is made possible by the lord and the donations of brethren like yourself if you would like to give a donation to help keep this broadcast on the air please visit
1: llgive.com thank you and shalom